the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Here on Westwood One, I have decided to fly solo this week. No co-host. In fact, uh, I'm going to give you a little more on the interview side and a little less on the talk-up side. But before I get to uh, my special guests this week, which include Mark Tremonti, Rich Robinson, and a very, very, very special guest. I'll, I'll explain that later. Uh, let me just quickly update you on what I've been doing all of July. I have been on the road running up and down the east coast of Canada and uh, upstate New York and Vermont and all those places. Seen a lot, a lot of shows, just a lot of great stuff to report. Obviously, uh, Heavy Montreal was uh, high on my agenda. Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson. A lot of fear that Marilyn Manson was going to cancel. He showed up and put on what I would describe as an interesting show. I'm, I'm not sure that he was stone cold sober. It was, it was quite uh, an event. But if you haven't been to Heavy Montreal in um, end of July, you've got to come up. It is, it is more than just a rock show. It is an experience. It really is something unique and special. Also, I got to see the Gen X Summer Tour in Watertown, New York, upstate New York. And you know what? I'm a huge, huge, huge Buck Cherry fan. But I've got to tell you. And this is not to disparage Buck Cherry. They were, they were great. But I think P.O.D. stole the bill. And, you know, if you're unfamiliar with the Gen X summer tour bill, it was uh, P.O.D., Alien Ant Farm, Lit, and Buck Cherry. And P.O.D. and Lit were just absolutely fantastic. And I would give the, the edge, you know, the gold medal goes to P.O.D., the silver medal goes to Lit, and uh, Buck Cherry were great as well, but man, P.O.D. was a uh, Discovery Live. I, I think I saw them live years and years ago. Um, I'm trying to think, probably it was an Ozfest or something, but they, anyway, they were great. Just a great, great band. Also in upstate New York, I got to see the Franklin County Fair, and I got to walk on out and introduce REO Speedwagon. Great thrill to be asked to do that. Great thrill to actually do it, and the band were just absolutely fantastic i mean how do you stay on the road playing shows and doing all this stuff for what is soon going to be 50 years and just deliver it with such energy and such verve and such youthful enthusiasm i mean ario speedwagon were absolutely absolutely fantastic and super gracious i mean at the end of the day went back to the dressing room had a nice chat with them and they were like oh you know what we can't take this stuff on the bus so you grab it. So we came home with chips and water and all kinds of great stuff from the REO Speedwagon um, catering, I guess, for the lack of a better word. Anyway, uh, also in Montreal, there was the Montreal 77 Festival that I got to see, which was a punk festival. And yeah, it it was glorious. I mean, um, suicidal tendencies were the headliner and they really just delivered the goods. So an, another great festival. Uh, there was also the Oceaga festival. Now this one outside of my realm of music, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think who the, who some of the artists were. I mean, Blondie was there, which was great of course, but, um, Florence and the machine were the big he headliner. Travis Scott was another headliner. Definitely not in my realm of music, 
but the festival itself uh, itself is like a small community. It, it really was. There, there were there were kids there. There were older folks there. Of course, a lot of eighteen to twenty four year olds were there. Uh, just an absolute incredible experience, and I believe that they were at something like two hundred and thirty thousand people for the three-day festival. So if you've never heard of Oceaga, uh, do look that up. And even if you're not a fan of the music, um, like I wasn't, you know, check it out because it's more than just, uh, it's about uh, community. It was a great, great sense of a community. And uh, just before I get over to our first guest, I will just quickly mention Journey, Cheap Trick, Def Leppard, Fenway Park. That's it. That's all you have to say. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's it. I'm not even going to go into a long spiel. I'll just say it again. Journey, Cheap Trick, Def Leppard, Fenway Park. I mean, do I need to say more? It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, that is top of the line. Top of the line. Uh, what a show that was. Absolutely spectacular. And it's amazing how Def Leppard, you know, they always say you need to take a year off or two years off because you're going to burn out the market and things are going to go wrong for you. And you're going to you're going to start it in an arena and then you're going to play the little arena and then you're going to play the, 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 the theater. And if you do this five years in a row, you're going to be playing clubs to 300 people. And Def Leppard have gone out on the road with everybody. Kiss, Brian Adams, Journey, etc., etc., and the uh, Tesla, Ario Speedwagon, and the tours keep getting bigger and bigger. They went from arenas with um, who was it? I think it was Lita Ford and Poison, you know, to the sheds, and then to Wrigley Field, and then Fenway Park. I, I, I mean, I mean, really, it, wow. You know, and they, oh, 80s rock is dead. Rock is dead. Oh, really? Okay. Tell that to the, you know, 40,000 people that checked out the Foo Fighters at Wrigley Field. Tell that to the 40,000 people that checked out Cheap Trick and um, uh, 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 Journey and, and Def Leppard at Fenway Park and stuff like that. I mean, come on. It's, it's a bit silly. Uh, I will also quickly remind you that the Dead Daisies are on tour. They are all over North America, uh, starting on August 15th, which is coming up. Uh, they will be, of course, in Montreal and um, all over that. And, and I will tell you more about that in the second part of the show. I've, I've gone on a, probably a little too long here. So let me get over to our first guest. It is Mark Tremonti of the band Tremonti. Just all kinds of great stuff. They, we, of course, talk about Tremonti. We talk about Alderbridge. And, yes, we talk about Creed. And so I will stop talking. Uh, and I will give you more news and more details on the Dead Daisies North American tour with Hookers and Below. Uh, right after we get to this. Here is the one, the only Mark Tremonti. We are speaking with Mark Tremonti, the band Tremonti have a new album out called A Dying Machine. If you haven't heard it, shame on you because it is absolutely fantastic. Mark, just an absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yeah. So, you know what? You've got all this stuff with Alter Bridge and 
all kinds of other stuff going on the tour with Seether. I was just talking to John Humphrey yesterday, but let's just get into Dying Machine because I put that on thinking, okay, it's just it's just an album, another album this summer. And then I heard that opening riff of Bringer of War and I went, oh yeah, okay, this is not just another album. This is something special and unique because that just punches you in the face right off the start. Um, so uh-huh. talk to me about Dying Machine and, and the concept behind it. Uh, well, I started writing um, the title track when I was on tour. I was in Hungary right before a show, and I, I started developing that song. And uh, the concept for the song came immediately to me, and I was really excited about um, writing this little story um, within that song. And once I finished writing that song, I, I didn't want to leave that creative space. You know, I was having such a good time uh, with the story. I decided to continue on the next few songs. I figured maybe I'd do a three or four song little mini concept but then once i got there i just kept on going with it and uh i was never a big fan of concept records you know i didn't like or dislike them they just kind of were what they were and uh never was my agenda to do it so it was just kind of fell in my lap yeah i was going to ask you about that because when you look back at some of the great concept records of the years uh whether it's operation mind crime of queens right and stuff like that so you weren't at all inspired by having this ability to tell a story or 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 concept albums before you never no i mean i was only aware of i never owned mind crime you know i own a few concept records that i was aware that they were concept records like the king some king diamond records um uh maybe iron maiden records but not but nothing um nothing that stood out i never liked those records because of the concept i just liked the individual songs or the album as a whole but never the concept itself so this uh was never something that I ever had on my radar to do. Talk to me about approaching the right the songwriting process in the sense that when you write a song like Bringer of War and it's, you know, four and a half minutes, five minutes, you're done, and then track two is something different, uh, and it's not on a concept record. How is it different in terms of putting it on a concept, sequencing everything, making sure the story runs together? musically having, you know, sort of peaks and valleys. Talk to me about the challenges of getting sort of from song one to the end in a cohesive way. Uh, well, you never, you know, I never write from song one to the end. I write, uh, uh, this was actually the first album that I think I've ever done where I focus on one song at a time. Um, usually I write bits and pieces and fill them in as I go. But this album, um, I wrote a song, had the, had had the idea of that, point of the story in my head so say it was a chapter or two i had in my head of the story i would write about that or write about a different character's point of view and not jump around so this is the first time that i was forced to spend sometimes two weeks on a song or a week on a song um and uh you know in the long run it took you know a month or two on some of these songs just to you know to finalize lyrics or whatnot but I, I i would settle i wouldn't move on to the next one until i knew i had every bit of the um bulk of those songs done so it was uh you know different writing process for me this time around it really was now you you've also got a book or a novel coming out with uh, co-written with john shirley uh based on the dying machine album and, and concept um what are you sort of your plans for the for for books is this all sort of a one-off or do you see yourself getting into being an author and coming out with a line of dying machine type uh, novels down. I mean, is this something that you want to develop into a series or is this just really, no, this is a unique moment in time. This is it. It would be an absolute dream come true. You know, I've had, I've had a, uh, 
it's been on my bucket list for a long time now. I mean, it's been probably 10 years now that I've wanted to write a, a novel, not a, you know, when I first told people I was doing the book, they're like, Oh, you're doing a autobiography. I said, no, I'm not. Uh, who cares about my life? I want to write a fictional story. Um, and, uh, you know, cause that's what I'm a fan of. So I, you know, when this, when this concept came about, when I was writing the record, I, I decided, you know, what better time than now to try to, try to get that done. You know, over the years I've bought books on how to write novels and how to build characters and how to do this and how to do that. And I just never had the time or the confidence to do it. So it just came down to me, um, saying now's the time. Um, but when I actually got put pen to paper, uh, and tried to flesh out the story, it was just taking way too long. I was like, you know what, let me try to find a ghostwriter. So then I went, online and searched around until I found, uh, that's why I thought I had the idea of calling my agent who, uh, works for U- UTA who have a whole literary department. And that's when I called him and they, I went through about nine different authors and, and, uh, got through to John Shirley and he was the perfect fit. And I had such a good time working with him and, and, uh, I would love to do it again and again. Uh, explain to me if you can, the creative process, cause I'm assuming maybe wrongly so that writing a song and writing a book don't come from the same creative impetus. Is it, was it more challenging? Was it, uh, did you have to relearn an entire craft or is writing just writing, wh- whether it's for a song or a book? They have a lot in common, you know, just using their imagination and, and seeing it through. You know, a lot of people have, a lot of people have great imaginations, but they just don't have the means of, uh, of, of finishing anything. And um, I might've fallen in that same category if I didn't partner up with John, you know, it was, now that I've partnered up with John, I got, I have much more confidence in, in, in doing this again. But, uh, you know, it, it comes from the same kind of cr- creative mind. You're just kind of, uh, even when I was writing the album, writing the story in, in my head, um, the story was done when the album was done, but then I wanted to see it through. I wanted to see the, the story written out in its entirety so everybody could see the, the development of all the characters and see what these songs that might be a little nebulous really mean when they, when they actually read the book. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's been really, really, really exciting. And there's been so many moments where, um, as I'm reviewing the book and going over it that I just, you know, it's just such a exciting thing to see the character that you've just like a song, you, you take something that doesn't exist and you, and you make it this, um, intangible thing, but that is, but that people love to go on that journey with you. And it's, it's just the same with this, this book. You know, I can't wait for people to, to take this, this journey that she kind of created in your, you know, in your, in your mental space. Do, do you see it going to that next stage where you try to shop it as, um, you know, for a movie, you know, get it over to Netflix or something and try to develop it into the big screen or are you happy sort of having it just as the book and the album or how do you see it sort of taking that next step? Well, I've already met with um, the heads of, of the movie department and the uh, literary department at UTA, and, and they um, they all love it. You know, they've all just been so positive through the whole process. And um, as soon as I get the book printed, we're just at the printers right now, so it's going to be the next month before I get a hard copy of it. But uh, that's when they shop it to all the different publishing houses. You know, for me, it's one thing to self-publish a book, but to actually get a publishing deal where they put it in bookstores and whatnot, that's, that's been my, that bucket list dream item. So if it, uh, if I get that publishing deal, I'll be, you know, I'll be the, one of the happiest guys in the world to get that taken care of. But, um, 
but when I talk to the people who do the, the movies and TV, uh, and they look at me seriously and say, Oh yeah, we're going to look at Netflix. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at that. You know, it, it's, it, it just blows my mind because it's, uh, it's not something that when I sat down and wrote the title track to this record, never did I think that it could be a book and then it could possibly be some kind of TV series or movie. That would be, that would just blow my mind. I think it would be fantastic. Now, in terms of stage presentation and live performance, being a concept album, um, does it sort of force you to have to do a, a show where you present the entire album or is that something that, that you're interested in or, or not interested in at all? You know, do you bring the whole album to the fans live? Um, so far, we're just uh, introducing songs um, as we go. You know, we've, we've played half the record so far. Um, well, a little more than half the record, because one of the songs in the record is, is more of an instrumental that will never be played by. But uh, we've played seven songs out of the 13 that can be played. Um, and we've got this next two in the States. We're going to just keep on introducing new songs and uh, see it through to the end. And, and then, uh, But right now, you know, we're mixing up all the records, all the... You know, we try to make every set of us different every night as much as we can. And then uh, if, you know, years down the road, this turns into be a cult classic of our fans and they want to see it from start to finish, I'd, we'd love to do it. That would be great. That, that in fact, would be very exciting. Now, uh, the, the other band, uh, Alter Bridge, uh, live at the Royal Albert Hall, just a, an iconic venue, an iconic place, just so many great play, uh, players and, and bands that have played there. Um, talk to me about that album that's coming out, but also just a thrill of play. I mean, you know, there, there's a few like Madison Square Garden, right? You know, the Forum in L.A. back in the day. They're just not just another concert. Talk to me about that evening, that show, and bringing it to the fans um, later on this year. Uh, you know, that show was uh, it was probably the most special night we've ever shared on stage in our entire careers. You know, so both both nights, especially the second night, because we after tackling it the first night and knowing that we had the confidence to do it. Um, the second night was just probably the, the, the most, uh, satisfying night any of us have ever had on stage performing. And, um, so for months, probably six months before we did that show, we, we would be doing sound checks for every show, working on these songs that we never play live songs that we hardly ever play live. And, and we knew we were going to put together a set list of, of these songs that were very unfamiliar to us because it's, uh, we wanted to make sure that the set list contained all the songs that fit best with the orchestra. So we, we had to kind of go deep and practice hard. And, and, um, when we did the, uh, I think we did about I don't know, 20, 20 songs or so that night, uh, those nights. And, uh, we got, uh, you know, we captured it very well. I think the, uh, it was filmed extremely well and it was recorded very well. And the orchestra played perfectly. So it was, um, it was up to us really, because everybody else aced it. So, and, um, I think, you know, when I watched back to, um, some of the film, you know, miles really, really knocked it out of the park that night. And that makes a big difference when your front man is on fire. It's, it's hard to have a bad show. Yeah. And my, miles is great. Um, talk to me about balancing these two bands or these two brands. I mean, when you look at a band like Metallica or the Scorpions, none of the members run off and do solo projects or other projects, uh, between Tremonti, Alterbridge, and miles doing the slash stuff and solo stuff. There's all sort of, you're, you're spread out a little bit everywhere does that make it more difficult to, to keep the momentum going for Alter Bridge? And, and where do you sort of see the focus for you? What, what is sort of 
the priority if you have to choose? Um, my priority is whatever I'm working on at the time. And right now, my priority is 100% Chumani, but now I'm going to start writing the, you know, putting together the next Alter Bridge record after this tour. So it's, um, you know, I'll be focused on my live performances with Chumani, but my creative um, juices will be going towards the next Alter Bridge record. So it's whatever I'm working on at the time, I, I give it my sole attention. Um, I think it's, uh, it, it, I think it helps with Alter Bridge. We come out with a record every two and a half to three years. And when we come back out with the record, people are so enthusiastic about it. Um, and it's always such a big, uh, you know, big, a big thing. It's a big moment when we come out with a new record and fans go nuts. And it's, uh, it's not like we're just coming out with a, a record every year and people lose interest. You know, I, I've seen that happen to some bands. I've even followed bands that come out with records too quick. Maybe it's cause I'm too busy and getting older now, but I can't, I can't, uh, it takes me a, a year or two to, digest a, a record fully before I dive into the next one. And when you come out with one every year, it kind of, I lose track. So I, I think, um, our two and a half to three year cycle with Alter Bridge works good for us. It does. Um, then talk to me about sort of where do you see the next, I mean, the last hero came out in 2016. Where do you see the next Alter Bridge album going? Are you at a point now where you can sort of make the songs you want and put out the stuff you want, or is there sort of a formula and, and you know, a record company demand to adhere to a certain sound and a certain vision. Um, where do you see the next one going? And I'm assuming it'll be out in 2019. Yeah, we're going to go in the studio um, probably early next summer, late next spring with Alta Bridge, and I'll go back out on tour with Tremonti while the record's uh, being set up by the record label. But, you know, I've been lucky through my whole career to never have to um, take any advice from a record label. They've never ever told me in my career, you have to write a song like this or an album like this, which has been, it's kind of the, um, the privilege you get when your first record does well for the rest of your career, you can say, listen, I know what I'm doing, you know? So they leave us alone creatively. Um, you know, if we put out some, some kind of dance record, I'm sure they'd open their mouths, but we're, you know, we, we try to, we put, a hundred percent in everything we do. And, um, you know, we definitely try to not follow formulas. We want to, uh, that's one thing when you write a lot of records, I think this will be the Alter bridge record will be our 14th record, my 14th record of my career. Um, so you're constantly trying to, to, to somehow think of some way to do stuff different along the way to make it not sound like everything you've done in the past. And that's the biggest challenge. It really is. So if you can, take take a little bit of stock in your career here, looking back, because you've done a lot of these great albums going all the way back to Creed and then Alter Bridge, Tremonti, uh, very successful with three projects, which is exceptionally rare. I mean, usually you're lucky enough to get one project or even one song to hit. Um, what has sort of been the key to success moving forward from, from Creed to Alter Bridge to Tremonti and, and keeping it relevant and keeping the fans interested? Um you know, what is sort of your, your secret sauce, if, if I can put it in that way? I would say just, just staying really passionate and working really hard because you're passionate about what you do. You know, I think once you get, uh, once you get comfortable and, and um, don't have that drive anymore, it's time to hang it up. You know, I'm, I'm still just as driven as I've ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, when I partner up with Miles and, and Alter Bridge, Miles is the same kind of driven character. And, uh, I think it takes it takes those relationships to uh, you know to really thrive you know and in, in the Tawani band me and Eric are, are uh, you know he's he's a very uh, driven guy as well and 
same with, with the rest of the band members. And, uh, it just kind of helps you, uh, survive if you, if you follow your passion and you're, and you're, and you're working hard. It really does. Um, just quickly talk to me about having had Wolfgang Van Halen in the band. Uh, just an exceptional talent. Of course, uh, he had to, he had touring commitments with Van Halen. He's working on his own solo album these days. But what was it like bringing him into the band and, and having him and the attention that was brought because of his name? Um, just, just talk to me a little bit about Wolfgang. And do you see yourself perhaps working with him again down in the future? Well, it was great having Wolf. You know, he was, um, you know, he would kind of come in and, uh, you know, just lay down these great bass lines over what you, you know, whatever I'd written, you know, he'd just play, um, you know, he's very technically um, gifted. You know, he he could play the drums, the guitar, the bass, everything. He could sing very well, and um, you know, he's got he got he's got his dad's blood, so he's a very gifted musician. And and uh, live, he's dead on every single night. Um, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous musician. And uh, yeah, like you said, we, he had different touring. Um, commitments of course we understood it was van halen you know um and then he got into his solo stuff and now he's just finished his record i think he's been working on it for i don't know three or four years now and he's finally got it done so i'm sure he's going to be gearing up to do that and we wish him the best yeah he's he's a wonderful guy um of course in alter bridge miles does the singing tremonti you do the singing um do you see yourself ever or or would it be possible in the alter bridge format for you to take over uh, vocally more songs on an album, you know, sing half of them, or or is it really no? That's Miles' gigs, and I'm just going to stick to to the guitar parts here. Um, you know, it's happened here and there. You know, I sing on Waters Rising, I do the lead vocal, and and um, Ward Stark and the Wings. You know, I do the lead vocal on half of the song, and, and uh, but you never know. It's kind of something that that you don't plan for. It just kind of happens. You know, if something just fits me more than it fits Miles, then I'll sing it. But one good thing about me and Miles is our voices mesh really well together. He's got, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, um, I guess the deeper thing and he's got the, the more tenor range stuff. So we, we fit together very well. Yeah, you do. Uh, of course you are going out with a Caesar this fall. Uh, you and I share a friend in common, John Humphreys. Just talk to me a little bit about that tour. And it only runs from September 13th to October 5th right now. Is that something that you will, consider expanding or what sort of can fans expect from this double bill? Yeah, no, it's, um, we've, we've done a, on the last, uh, I think it was the last record cycle. We did a tour with Cedar and it was great. You know, we, we did a lot great with the guys and, uh, the fans. It's just one of those, um, groups of fans that, that enjoy, you know, all the bands that are playing that night. So it's always good to have, have that. Sometimes when you pair up with a band, sometimes, fans won't, won't like an opener, you know, so it's, uh, it's good that their fans are very, uh, open-minded with us and we, we bring our own fans to the shows that, that love Cedar. So it's a good, it's a good mix. Yeah, it is a good mix. Um, if I may, uh, and you tell me if I can, uh, just a couple of questions on the band, uh, Creed, the, 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 that first band, if you want, um, you know, you built up a great reputation, great catalog right off the bat. And then it all sort of fell apart. Do, do you see the band as being completely over, or do you sort of hold out hope as a Guns N' Roses or as a Kiss that at some point there could be a reunion tour and there could be new music and there could be a future for the band? Or have we gotten to that point where it's, you know, we've put the final period at the end of the sentence? 
Uh, you, you know, you just never know. I'm, I'm just, I'm so busy right now with doing everything I, I, I'm doing. It's, it's, uh, it'd be impossible for me to do it, um, anytime soon, but, um, you know, who knows if, if, uh, 10 years from now, all of a sudden there's this big uprising that the world needs creed, you know, of course I'd be open-minded to it. Um, it's just, uh, Alter Bridge is doing so well right now. And the Tremonti um, band is, is, is getting a lot of, uh, traction as well. And, and, uh, you know, I can only, I can only divide myself, my attention, um, so much, you know, to, to keep those things moving the way they are. True. True. So then let me just put it this way. Are you happy the way that, that it ended or, or do you think it could have gone, uh, much better? And do you sort of hope that we could get it finished in a better way? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't really consider it ended. You know, I think it's just a band that isn't active. You know, it's just not, um, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed that um, you don't really hear the songs as much uh, as, as you should. I think um, some of the uh, negative stuff that happened in the press or whatnot kind of hurt the uh, the legacy of the band a bit. Um, so it's uh, you still I still run into people though every day that say they're big Creed fans, and I I, I love to meet them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll finish with this: uh, as you move into uh, 2019, and you and you have more support going on for a dying machine. How do you sort of see your time going? Is it, you know, tour and then we'll get back to making another album or we'll finish this cycle and then whoop, right into Alter Bridge and that'll take my attention. So how do you sort of see the next couple of years uh, working out for you in terms of bands, projects, albums? Where is Mark Tremonti going? Um, I'm touring with uh, with this band until late next summer, early fall, and then, um, and then it will drop an Alter Bridge record uh, late next year. So we'll be touring with this all the way through, um, you know, for another year, um, another year or more. And then, um, you never know if there's an opportunity comes up or we have a big break and whatnot. I might do a short Tremonti run or something, but you know, I'd like to, I like to, to, um, focus on one and then do the next and take, take big blocks of time and, and make sure I'm focused on, on whatever I'm working on. Yeah, and so so it's going to be a very, very busy time. Uh, Mark, absolute pleasure. Saw you at Heavy Montreal, I guess, 2016. Uh, incredible performance, and very much looking forward to seeing a Tremonti performance uh, locally. And, uh, you know, hey, just keep doing, keep keep going. It's, it's great stuff. And uh, the new album is... Oh, thank you. Yeah, Dying Machine is just great. If fans haven't heard it, go check it out. When you hear Bringer of War from the Sky, it just those first three songs they just pummel you and then it just it, it's relentless and it's great it's great well done thank you so much man thanks thanks for having me on your show thank you mark and uh there we go cheers awesome cheers thanks so much bye-bye now now back to rock talk with mitch lafon there you have it, folks, my interview with mark tremonti of tremonti and of course alter bridge and uh, you know I haven't done this for a while. Uh, I've had a lot of really big name guests, whether it's Lou Graham or Dennis DeYoung or Phil Collin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't featured one of these bands that has been around for a while that we haven't spoken about. So you've heard me in the past talk about Gothard or Thunder or some of these bands that have these uh, European followings like Pink Cream 69, but for some reason don't have a North American following. So uh, I'm going to take this episode and this time to do that. I'm going to speak with Joke Berg of the band 
hardcore superstar. They have a new album coming out in September called You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll. The band, of course, has been around since the late or mid-90s. They've put out a whole bunch of albums. Uh, the last few, HCSS in 2015, Come On, Take On Me 2013, Split of the Year, Split Your Lip, I should say, 2010, etc., etc., etc. The first album was It's Only Rock and Roll back in 19. 19- 98 and of course now here we are 20 years later with you can't kill my rock and roll and so here's a band 20 years in big european following folks over there in sweden and england and germany they love the band and if i go to chicago and i say hey have you heard the new hardcore superstar you you look at me like who so okay uh, let's let's do one of these. I haven't done them in, in a while, uh, and I do apologize for that. I love featuring, you know, other bands, bands that you don't hear of as often. So here is from the band uh, Hardcore Superstar Jokke Berg. But just before that, let me remind you that the Dead Daisies, ah yes, the Dead Daisies, featuring Doug Aldrich, formerly of White Snake and Dio, John Karabi of Motley Crue, the Scream fame, Marco Mendoza of White Snake and Thin Lizzy, and oh, let's not forget, he was in Black Star Riders as well. Dean Castronovo, a personal, personal friend of mine from Bad English and Journey, and David Lowey of Red Phoenix and Mink uh, are on tour. August 15th in Cleveland, Ohio at the Agora Ballroom. August 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Pierre's. Joliet, Illinois at the Forge, August 17th, etc., etc., etc. You can follow uh, everything that you want to hear about the Dead Daisies or see about the Dead Daisies at thededaisies.com. You can also uh, just check the show notes. Uh, All the tour dates are in the show notes. They are touring on the strength of their new album, Burn It Down, which is fantastic. Adding Dean Castronovo on drums has transformed this band. And that is not a backhanded compliment saying that the band was no good before it. No, absolutely not. They were fantastic before. But Dean Castronovo, his vocals add such a layer of depth to what the band does that Burn It Down is just this masterful, masterful album. And I will remind you, of course, that they are on the road on this North American tour with Hookers and Blow, the band. That's right. Uh, the band, of course, features Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, who has been touring all around the world on the Not In This Lifetime tour with Guns N' Roses, which I saw three times, Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal. And, wow, just absolutely jaw-dropping. And, of course, Dizzy was in the Dead Daisies for a little while, but, you know, when Axel calls, you go. And so he did, and of course, Hookers and Blow are are on this tour. The band also has Alex Grassi, who plays his heart out with Frankie Benelli in Quiet Riot. And just on this tour, it is rounded out by Robbie Crane, who of course played many, many years in Rat, and, and is currently the Black Star Riders bassist, having replaced, guess who? Marco Mendoza, who is in The Dead Daisies. So you've got a Dead Daisies, Hookers and Blow, Guns and Roses, Black Star Riders, uh, Mailstorm. It's, it's, it's going to be wonderful. It is going to be absolutely wonderful. Do yourself a favor. Go catch that. Head over to thededaisies.com for all the dates. And in most cities, 
they are going to be doing in-stores that are going to include acoustic performances, question and answers, meet the fans and all that. Uh, in Ottawa, I know it's going to be at Long and McQuaid's. And in Montreal, it's going to be at Steve's Music Store. But again, head over to the website, the Facebook, the Twitter, and just keep checking uh, for uh, the in-stores in your city. And there you go. And so without further ado, from the band Hardcore Superstar, the new album is You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll. It is lead singer Joke. Haha. Berg. We are speaking with Joke. See, I said it right. Of hardcore, yeah, right. <laughs> lead singer of hardcore superstar, the new album "You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll" comes out later this year. Uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you. I just, I have to say, such a great band, and unfortunately, unknown or not unknown, but not known as much as you need to be. No, that's North right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not unknown, but but no, we we need to raise the profile a bit. So. Okay, let, let, let's start with, with that. I mean, he, here it is, 2018, first album, It's Only Rock and Roll, came out in 1998. Yeah. It is your 20th anniversary, even though the band it is. is. So, so talk to me about that, and, 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 and what are sort of the plans to celebrate 20 years? Um, like you said, we've been doing this for 20 years now, and, uh, and uh, the, the sad part of those 20 years that we've only been to America in Canada for like two times and played. So it's, uh, we went there, uh, 2016. We did this uh, tour together with Michael Monroe, uh, three weeks. That's right. And, uh, it was awesome. We sold out whiskey go, go two nights in a row. Yeah. Isn't that so, great? I mean, they, they were like hungry for us. They've been waiting for 10 years for us to come back. So, so, uh, uh, but I hope, hopefully, we're celebrating this 20th anniversary by going back to the states. We'll be talking about it, and uh, hopefully, Canada as well. We only played Toronto once uh, yeah, at yeah, the El Moncombo, yeah. the famous El Moncombo. That's right, where but, the Rolling uh, Stones had played. But, but yeah, okay. So, so talk to me about that because the band has been around for 20 years. You are yeah. on your 11th album. You've had yeah. a lot of success in Europe, a lot of great tours in Europe. What yeah. has been the difficulty or the challenge to get to Montreal, to get to Toronto, to get to San Diego? What what, what has been sort of that challenge to get over here? Uh, the same thing as always, money. Okay. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's uh, very you know expensive to tour in in, in the states, and uh, for you for an European band, it's it's very expensive to tour in Canada and North America. So, uh, but um, as we grown bigger in Europe, we of course, earn more money, more money, and uh, we use those money to to do the tours in in the states just to break ground. And uh, I mean, as I told you, we were there 2016, and you can see that that we have a market over there. So it's uh, we have to go back because the states are North America are so big, so we yeah. have to tour tour there a lot. So I mean. We haven't been there for two years now. We have to go there at least once or two, twice a year, so so to to break ground, to to show ourselves, you know. Yeah, I agree. So that that would be an awesome thing to to uh, celebrate this twentieth anniversary to go back to the states. But uh, we're talking about a live DVD as well and uh, and uh, live album. So hopefully, we're recording shows here in Sweden and and also in Europe. 
Well, okay. You, you know, I, I I wasn't going to ask about a live album, but since you mentioned it, uh, tell me about that. When, when do you think that might come out and sort of what are what could fans expect from that album? We, we don't have any release date yet, but uh, we're recording in case, you know, we, we're because we talked about it. And uh, uh, but I, I think I, I would love to do a, a live DVD because that's the right you know, way to see us and listen to us because we are we're a good band, especially live. So it's a lot of energy, and and uh, the audience always has a good time. So I think yeah. that's that's the best forum. That's for the us. key, and I agree. Uh, you know, the, the band from, uh, and of course, I haven't had a chance to see you live in person, but I've seen the videos on YouTube and all this stuff. I get the impression very much that you're sort of like early Kiss in the sense that the albums were great. You know, the first three, four albums of Kiss were really great. But you yeah. didn't understand what the band was until you saw them live, and I sort of get exactly. that right. And I get that impression with hardcore is that yes, the albums are great, you know, Bad Sneakers, and it's only rock, yeah. great stuff. Yeah. But those songs take an extra little step up when they're yes, live. Yes, they does. I mean, it's like um, uh, I talked with so many, you know, journalists and fans, and and uh, like you say, they they like the albums, but. When 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 they see us live, it's like a, a whole new band. Uh, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's like one hundred and ten percent every night. So it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I I've been doing this live when I was sick or hangover or whatever. But it's it's something that happens when when the intro goes on, you forget all about sickness, hangover, everything. It's like I don't know what it is. Yeah, it has been that for 20 years. For 20 years, that adrenaline. So, so let yeah. me talk. We mentioned market and marketplace. Um, talk to me about the band's style because you have never deviated from being what you are, which is just, uh, you know, sort of a kick-ass, old-school rock and roll. You haven't chased yeah. trends. You haven't chased singles. You've just done what you've done. Um, yeah. Talk to me about we, the musical direction. We, actually, we, we invented a new, uh, a new genre, street metal. Uh, if you listen to to uh, you know the albums with Hardcore Superstar, you can hear thrash elements, you know, like Testament, uh, Anthrax, and then you can also hear elements from you know Motley Crue bands like that in the sleaze genre. We are something in between, you know. It's like that's why we call our genre street metal. Uh, we they they even they even wrote uh, read this. Uh, magazine, an, an Italian magazine, they got got that translated for me, and the, they said that the granddads of street metal, street metal are back. The granddads, the grandpa. I was like, ring on, yeah, grandpa. I was like, what? Yeah, huh. I mean, twenty years in this, you know. Of course, you're getting older, so it's. So we, we I, I can say, we, our genre is like street metal. We 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 take. Stuff from the punk, the thrash, the sleaze, you know, and combine them to one. To one, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, talk to me about you can't kill my rock and roll. Um, it's been three years since HCSS. Um, yeah. Talk to me about sort of the songwriting direction and what what you just chose to do on this album. Uh, on the last album, we were like uh, that. That album was more, you know, diverse compared to the other one. The other releases we 
made. And uh, uh, that album, we, we, we got this old de- demo from a fan in England that we had a band before Hawker Superstar who uh, was called uh, Link. And that was more, uh, you know, grunge, rock and roll orientated music. So we took those four songs and then we wrote the new album, the, the HCSS album, around those four songs. And uh, I think that's why that album are more diverse compared to the, you know, early ones. So that, when we started to write, it's only rock and roll. Uh, you can't get my rock and roll, sorry. Uh, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Yeah, it's all, yeah, <laughs> whatever, you know. Right. So so we, um, we, we were... It, that didn't work out, you know, that album. So that's when we, we started to write You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll. We wanted to go back, you know, to do what Hardcore Superstar are. It's like to do songs that, you know, the fans want want us to, to uh, do and, and write. So uh, that's why I think because the response on these three new songs are like huge. And uh, you can see that because when we released the HSS album, they were like 50% were like, uh, we're loving it, we love it. And, and the other 50% were like, what the fuck are they doing now? And uh, that's not good. So that's why we, we went back to the, you know, traditional hardcore superstar on this new album. It was going to be out in uh, September. Yeah, so, so, so talk to me about the rollout of this album, because it's been sort of talked about you know from like october of 2017 there was there were singles you know three singles have already been put out why the delay why not have it out by may of 2018 or june of 2018 uh, don't ask me ask me the, ask the record company <laughs> <laughs> right they they have to wait for for the you know it's, it's like it has to be right okay it has to be right it has to be the right moment to release you know uh, and, and me and the guys in the band were like, come on, let it out. And uh, the record company were like, no, no, we have to wait. We, we, we were thinking about releasing five singles before. So we're releasing a new single uh, in a month or so. And then another one and then the album. That's so. Yeah, I blame I blame the record company as always. Yeah, because I was just going to say, it just seems to be sort of a strange marketing plan from from what I'm used to. Because yeah, you know, you're going to have five singles out, and this, you know, and in terms of wanting to tour on a new album and and put tour merch based around yeah. the new, you sort of have to hold off. And it's like, okay, well, okay, it's especially in the summer season when when it's it's yeah, <laughs> we uh, we're talking about the merchandise. We, we're we're doing. You know, for every single we do a, a new T-shirt, okay. so they are already done. So we, when we're releasing the new single, a new T-shirt comes out as well. Oh. So uh, because we, we tour, we, yeah, now we're touring constantly, so it's it's uh, that's why it works. So uh, talk to me a little bit about the the Swedish rock scene because there there is a lot of great bands, both old and new, that are still putting out some great music yeah. from from uh, Imperial State Electric to Eclipse, of course, classic band yeah. Europe. Europe yeah. Ha- yeah. Ha- has become better than ever. Uh, who are they? Yeah, who are they? Right. <laughs> uh, but but talk to me about that because you know they're must mustache also, but Imperial State. But what's going on in Sweden where rock and roll? Because everybody says rock is dead, and then you get to Sweden, and it's like mm, nope, seems to be. And Sweden rock festival, 
It's like, no, yeah. Sweden seems to be kicking ass when it comes to yeah. rock. Maybe it's something in the water supplies. I don't know. You know, the water we drink give us rock and roll here in Sweden. I don't know. I mean, in Sweden, we either play football or, uh, as you say, soccer or ice hockey. Or we play rock and roll. That's yeah. the thing. That's it. In so, Sweden. So it sounds very much like Canada. It's really, it's really between hockey and... and, and yeah. <laughs> actually, and Canada and Sweden are not that far, so far from each other, actually. We're kind of similar, you know? Yeah, very much. So. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I noticed that when we played in Toronto and we also played in London, Ontario. Yeah. And uh, it's like, like Toronto, it's like walking in Gothenburg. It's like the same vibe. It really is. I mean, I've been to Sweden. I've been to Malmo and Stockholm and all those places. Yeah. And I feel very much at home. Uh, same yeah. thing with Copenhagen. Well, in fact, all the Scandinavian countries yeah. uh, seem to share sort of everything with Canada. Yeah, it's the same same thing with Sydney. Yeah. In Australia. Talk to me about heading over to uh, to to Australia and just getting over to those cities and playing in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and all that wonderful and, stuff. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's almost like you know when we went back to the states in 2016. You know, it was like it would. They were cooking. Hardcore shippers are coming. It's the same vibe in Australia right now. I got like, you know, on Insta, Instagram direct, I got messages like yeah, 10 messages a day from people down under who, who are really excited to for us to, you know, to come. So it's like kind of similar to the states. states. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun, I, of course. And I heard, I heard it's winter down there when we go down. Yeah. So it's uh, I talked to a friend who lived there and uh, he said that uh, bring your warm jackets because it's only 15 degrees. Oh yes. Oh. You're suffering. That's 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 <laughs> summer for me. <laughs> Talk to me about the band changes in in uh, 2008. Uh, Thomas yeah. Silver uh, steps out of the band. Talk to me about that change and then bringing in uh, you know uh, Vic. And what yeah. that was like, and, and how did that affect the, the sound? Does does it bring sort of a fresh element, or, or is it like, oh wow, what are we gonna uh, talk to me about yeah. that change? It it happened 2008 in February. Uh, we were uh, doing this UK tour, and uh, on the last show in London uh, at the ULU University it was a so loud show, 1500 people, and uh, me and the drum tech we were like changing movies you know on our computers and uh in the tour bus and um all of a sudden thomas came up and said that uh can you come down okay we're gonna have a meeting and i was like what the fuck's going on now so it's, i went downstairs and uh, he told us you know that i'm leaving the band i don't want to do this anymore and uh, i want to you know focus on the family and stuff so uh, we're like now we go into Australia and, and Japan in five days. You can't leave now. I have to. I think it was I was like you know, yeah, too much pot and stuff. So it's uh, I was, the only thing I was thinking about when he told told us this was like who's gonna replace him. That kind of hard maybe, but because we had a you know a tour to do in Australia and and, and Japan. So I was thinking about because at that time Crazy Licks, the Vic Vic's uh, former band, right, were um, in the tour bus as well. 
And I can hear Vicky's like, you know, practicing on the guitar upstairs. And uh, uh, I said to the other guys in the band, uh, wait a minute, I'll be back. So I went upstairs and uh, Vic were, you know, practicing. And I asked him straightforward that, um, can you, uh, can you um, stand him for Thomas because he's uh, going home? And he was like, what? Uh, I'm serious. So I, I have to do some f- phone calls first. So he went out and phoned home, you know, to his wife and stuff. So, so then he come back and said, I do it. So the first day he learned six songs out of 16 songs that we played. So then we went straight, straight back and uh, the other guys rehearsed for two and a half days. And he learned 16 songs in three and a half days. Then we went to Australia and did the tour and it was amazing. He, uh, I mean, just when he got in the band, he brought so much energy because uh, me personally on stage, I'm, I'm like, a, you know, what do you call that? Uh, a I'm very, man. A wild yeah, man. man. <laughs> yeah, a wild man. Very energetic. And, right. and uh, now I had like uh, another one. So, so uh, I mean, he's been in the band for 10 years now and, and uh, it was a good change. I think it was time for that then. Yeah, and then of course. So, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to no, say. No. S- speaking of, of um, Malmo and 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 bands, Crazy Licks yeah. is another one of these great Swedish bands. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to move to Sweden. I think. Yeah, do that. Do that. <laughs> That's where the rock and roll is. But <laughs> yeah. but have you have you how are things with Thomas now? I mean, is it is it very bitter where you said, "Son of a bitch, look what you did to us," or is it like? Eh, it's been 10 years, you know, if you want to come see a show, like, no. no, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, we have this policy in the band that we don't kick someone out. You have to leave. Okay. So, uh, and he, you know, chose to leave. So what can we say? We w- wished him all the best and all luck in the world. And uh, he's still playing, play guitars. And, you know, he's, I think he's, he's uh, about to release a solo album in the future. Okay. I haven't talked to him actually. I, maybe I talked to him in ten years. I talked to him like ten times. So uh, we don't have that close contact anymore, actually. Yeah, which, which I guess in one sense is sort of disappointing. You you spend ten years building a band and a brand, and then yeah. was, but uh, anyway, let's focus I, on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, he's a childhood friend as well. We grew up together. I mean, we we've been together since kindergarten. So it's. Uh, so it's sad, but you know, life goes on. That's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can't kill my rock and roll. Of course, comes out in September. What are the plans when it comes out? Is it uh, sort of tour Sweden, tour you know the, the immediate countries in Europe, or try to get on some kind of package? Where do you see it going once the album actually does come out? Um, of course, a lot of touring. Okay, uh, as always, uh, Europe, Scandinavia. And uh, hopefully Japan and back to Australia. I hope that. As well. But uh, and uh, hopefully states to the states, North America, of course. So um, I mean, you want to go here? I want to go to Canada. So yeah, yeah. we'll trade. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we trade. Yeah, you can live in my house. No, you can come to mine. It's yeah, nice. Great. It's right by a forest. There's two dogs. You'll you'll be very oh, happy. I have the same here. A forest behind my See? house. So it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so it's uh, it's gonna be a lot of touring, of course. 
And and uh, let, just let me finish with this here. It's only rock and roll, of course. Um, we we joked about that before, but it was the yeah. first. It was the first album. Uh, yeah. Take me back to that first album and and listening to it twenty years on. How do you think it holds up? Are you proud of it, or you look back and say, "Oh, we should have done that," um, because it did sort of set the table for everything. Um, yeah. I think it's both, actually. I mean, of course, you, you when you listen back to the, you know, old releases and stuff, it's like, oh, how did I do that? Why did I do that? You know, but you're also proud of you, what you did, of course. So, so uh, I don't think you can think about that too much, you know. It's like, you know, let's look forward instead of backward. But it is a great uh, album, though. I mean, it, yeah, it is. It is. It's like punky rock and roll. So it's, it's. Uh, of course, we, we. I'm proud of it. Of course. Yeah, and you retook some of the songs for Bad Sneakers, which, which yeah. was interesting. I guess that must have been a record label kind of thing. Saying, yeah, hey. we signed. We signed with uh, Music for Nations. Right. So that's why we we did we did. Uh, I think we wrote seven new songs and took oh, six old songs from the It's Own Rock and Roll album. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that's that's where a live DVD and a live CD really comes into place because you could hear the band, you know, with with everybody, you know, the, the band as it is with Vic and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and it would just be, it would be fantastic. And so hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, uh, yeah. Or so, else or else we blame the record company. You know, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Um <laughs> Uh, we should just blame the record company for everything. Yeah. That's, that's for everything, for Donald everything. Trump, for everything. Yeah, that's the way I see it. It's yeah. it's gain, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, uh, can't you can't be happy with gain? But uh, great pleasure today. Thank you for taking the time. Absolute love. Thank uh, you for wonderful. talking to me. Yeah, and uh, boy, I, I gotta tell folks. Go get those singles, uh, Bring the House Down, Electric Rider, Have Mercy on Me, available now yeah. on, on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and all that stuff. Yeah, do and it. Do it, do it now. Yeah. And of course, yeah. uh, September 21st, 2018, You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll, the full album with right. uh, 13 songs, and I'm assuming probably 14 or 15 in Japan because they always get bonus tracks. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But look for it, buy it, you know, anticipate it, and uh, great pleasure. And, and listen, if you ever need any help getting to Canada, I do know some promoters. I can I could do my best to try to get you here. And, you know, hey. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. And, of course. Uh, you know, as we say in, in Denmark, tack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. And there you have it, folks. My interview with Jockey Berg of Hardcore Superstar. Their new album, You Can't Kill My Rock and Roll, is coming out in September. Do yourself a favor and check out that album and the band. Just a great body of work that, for some reason, North America has North America just not tuned into so we gotta we gotta change that uh coming up next is rich robinson of magpie salute their new album high water one is uh coming out but uh first let me just uh, bring you this word here for many businesses hiring is tough which makes it critical to choose the right place to post your jobs you need qualified candidates fast and on budget and you don't want to sign a long-term contract or pay up front fees. That's right. 
That's why you need Indeed.com. Let me repeat that. You need Indeed.com. It is the world's number one job site. Independent research shows that Indeed delivers six times more hires than any other job site. You can post a job in minutes and even set up screener questions to help you zero in on qualified candidates. You can review applicants, take notes, and schedule interviews, all from an easy-to-use online dashboard. For a limited time, Indeed, that is Indeed.com, is offering new users a $50 credit to make their job listing a sponsored job with premium visibility so more candidates will see it. You want to make a great hire fast, and this exclusive offer gives you that head start. Find out why over 3 million businesses are using Indeed for hiring. To redeem this offer, go to Indeed.com slash credit. That is Indeed.com slash credit. Indeed, the world's number one job site. This and Indeed.com slash credit. There you go, folks. Uh, so do check that out. Uh, Indeed, great place to to go check out. So uh, back to Rich Robinson. Ah, yes, uh, Indeed, another interview. And uh, Rich, you know, I had spoken to... Uh, a couple of years ago, um, good guy, had a great solo album back uh, oof, 2016 called Flux. We spoke about that back in the time. I had first seen the Black Crows open up for Aerosmith. I believe it was the Permanent Vacation Tour. No, it might have been the Pump Tour. Um, yeah, I think it was the Pump Tour. Anyway, uh, you know, back in the day... A lot of openers, especially up in Canada, because in Canada they would fill in openers with local acts. Just I, I hate to say it, but nobody cared about, or at least I didn't care about. Somebody must have cared about it, you know, mom, dad, cousin, their moms and their dads and their cousins. But and, anyway, saw the band, loved it, ran out, uh, got the first album and became a fan. And then somewhere as they moved along in the 90s, they became sort of more of a and, and I hate to say that sort of a hippie band lost me a little bit in the mix, but okay. Uh, st- still a great band, great vocals, great. And just their shows were always, always fun. Just these big, massive jam sessions with all kinds of stuff coming in. But, uh, you know, anyway, uh, let's get over here to the, to this interview. Uh, Rich Robinson, of course, is uh, promoting Magpie Salute, the uh, new album by his current band. First album is called High Water One. I'm assuming, I'm assuming if there's a high water one, at some point we'll get a high water two. Maybe we'll even get a low water and a high tide. Who knows? Uh, But without further ado, here is the one, the only guitarist, Rich Robinson. We are speaking with the Magpie Salutes, Rich Robinson. The new album is High Water One. Rich, a great, great pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Um, Nice to talk to you. Yeah, so let's let's get right into talking about this album. Uh, musically, it it reminds me of what you've done uh, in the past, and I just love that sound. So so talk to me about putting it putting this album together. Well, you know, I mean, John, Mark, and I wrote the record. Uh, you know, some songs Mark wrote by himself, some songs I wrote by myself, some songs we wrote with John, and you know, sort of there wasn't like a set thing when we got together to write the album, we just threw everything we had on the table, you know, new, old. I mean, I just kind of felt like I always feel like the, the music will dictate 
what the record's going to be and what the record will sound like. Um, and I never try to sort of interfere with that. Um, so ultimately, you know, as things kind of unfold, you can put them all out on the, t- on the table and you suss them out. You know, you look, you know, this one works, this one doesn't, let's do this, take this away. And, you know, a record and a sound starts forming. So that's pretty much what happened. Um, you know, the way that I write is the way that I write. It's always been the way that I write. I never change it to try to write like something or to write not like something. I just write. So in that sense, you know, the way that I write and the way that I sound when I play guitar will sound like me. And the same goes for Mark Ford. And then the same goes for the two of us playing together. But then you add these other elements like John Hogg, who no one's ever heard in the context of playing with Mark and I and Joe Magistro, who no one's ever heard in that context and Matt Slocum. So you have a cool balance of like an old and a new, which is something I really appreciate. Yeah. And I appreciate that too. Now, now you had mentioned, uh, when you form the band that you have a group of people here that you connect, uh, connect with on a deeper level, uh, talk to me about working with Mark Sven and in the beginning with, with Eddie before he passed away. What is it about that core of players that is just very unique and special to what you do? Well, I mean, you know, I just think we're all on a, on a same, on the same page, you know, we're all on this page together to, in the way that we approach music and the well that we kind of all drink from, you know, musically. And that's ultimately, you know, where I come, you know, where we all come from. And the cool thing is like, you know, it's a language, it's a deep language. Music is a really deep language, you know, how you mix these sort of chords. I mean, what I always used to love is I would bring a song to the crows or whatever, and then we would start recording it. And then the first thing Ed would play was always brilliant, you know, and his go-to as, as it pertained to like what chords, what movement he would bring to the, to, you know, whatever we were doing, I thought was brilliant. And the same goes for Mark, you know, just for Mark, you know, he would just come in, jump right in and it would just, all three of us would just be on that level. And then when spin came around, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, and it, and the cool thing about it is it's it's unique to us. You know, it sounds like us. Um, but, you know, the way that we could sort of stay off of each other, too. You know, a lot of times bands can just pile on and, you know, it just sounds like kind of brown. Uh, but when you have sort of musicians of this level and caliber and like where we're all coming from to play more complicated stuff, but still have it be, um, have that space in that room is what's really amazing to me. Talk to me about getting back into a band situation. You had of course done uh, a bunch of solo albums. Um, what is it about being in a band situation that, that intrigues you or appeals to you? And is this sort of, in spite of the, the solo out the, the solo career, do you stop that? Or is it in conjunction with where you'll do sort of one album solo and then next year it'll be Magpie and then that, you know, um, talk to me about balancing the, the two sort of, uh, 
visions? Well, ultimately, I do what I do. So I don't really ever think too much or plan too much. Like, I don't believe in making like a sort of declaration of what something is going to be. I just kind of do it. So, you know, the crow split up. I made some solo records. I didn't really view it as like a career. I just, you know, I got an opportunity to make some records and it was cool. And then this other thing came up and it was really cool too. And so now I'm doing this and I, and this is where my focus is. So those are the kinds of things that I look at, you know. You mentioned the the Black Crows splitting up. Of course, I, I loved the Black Crows back in the day. I saw you open up for Aerosmith. I believe it was on the Pump Tour as far back as that. Uh, one of the only bands that I saw opening up and I had to go buy the album the next day. I was just like, whoa, this, this band is too good. Um, you talked to me about having at this point to rebuild the brand and and why not just call what you're doing the Black Crows? Many members, you know, they lose a member. You look at Foreigner, they look at, and they call it that. Um, why not use the name and go on? You, you have the members. Well, because, I mean, my brother, well, because we're not the Black Crows. I mean, you know, we're a new band and that's how we look at it. I mean, you know, last year I do, you know, I look back and, and I look at what, that was, which was, like I said, this celebration of music that we had made together our whole lives. And, and that was it. And it was cool. But now we have this new thing. I mean, we're not interested in just rehashing Black Crow songs for our whole lives. You know, it's just really not that it's not that interesting to us. And so ultimately, you know, this is where I think we all want to be. And it's there's something more exciting about it, you know? I mean, ultimately. Yeah, it is very exciting. Um, talk to me about the upcoming tour here. You, you've got some shows with uh, Blackberry Smoke and, and uh, Government Mule. Uh, just talk to me about heading out on the road and what can fans expect? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, they can expect to hear some songs from this new record and some cool covers and a whole array of you know, songs, you know, maybe Mark songs, solo songs, my solo songs, you know, that's but really the focus, the spearhead of this whole tour is, is High Water One and establishing this new band that we're all really excited about. Uh, so talk to me about establishing a new band, because you, you had, of course, the, the Crows for, for over 20 years, very um, recognizable brand, for the lack of a better word. What are some of the challenges that you face in sort of getting a new flagship going up and having people understand what that means? I mean, ultimately, the way we see it is we just made a record and we're really proud of the record and really happy with how it turned out. So ultimately, that's how we see it. I don't necessarily think about the sort of corporate elements of it. You know, I kind of think that that's more part of the problem than part of the solution you know you look at things like social media you look at things like you know all the things that these sort of corporate bankers that got involved in the music industry you know with their analytics and facebook and you know checking this out and all these things and look where it's gotten us you know it's gotten us a cynical industry that these People only really care about making money or being famous, and no one's really trying to, you know, talk about the human condition or do something a little bit more, a little bit above themselves, you know. 
you know, when I write a song, when John writes a song, he's or when Mark writes a song, we're trying to write about humanity. You know, hey, take a look at this. This is what the role of music is and has always been or should be. And <clears throat> in my opinion. And so, you know, we're just out there putting our music out and we look at it as a, a very, you know, it's an important thing. You know, I think people are so accustomed to going to a show. There's a band, they do an encore, we clap. It's like playing a role. And I think that, you know, you look out into the audience and see people, you know, a song that they may not know, they immediately sit down, pick out their phone and they watch whatever, I don't know, you know, check Facebook, send an email, call a friend, FaceTime, take a selfie they're not opening themselves up to a new experience and the experience is getting narrower and narrower. And I, I just call it a cultural black hole, you know? And I think that you have a contingency of a lot of these people and a lot of our shows this year have been a total shift. I mean, we're seeing a ton of young people, millennials that are coming out that are really interested in what we're doing and interested in the, in a world that existed before them where people weren't obsessed with these weird little gadgets, you know, where people could have a, an experience, something like vinyl, you know, if you have an experience, you're going to have more of a respect for it. And you're, and then if you have more respect for it. There's a reverence that's built in. If you buy a piece of vinyl, you go to the store, you buy this record, you take it home or you order it or however you do it. But when it comes, it's physical. You have to unpack it. It has a smell. It has a feel there's a big piece of art. There's information on there that means something more than just like some tiny little writing on some sort of fake digital virtual copy of a, some, you know, of an artwork. And then you have to stand up and walk to the turntable, turn your stereo on, put it down, put the needle on. And I think that that reverberates out into a subconscious level to have people understand that there's something more to it than just walking around, pushing a button on a virtual button on a phone. And, you know, maybe see the bigger picture that not only did someone manufacture the vinyl, someone came up with the artwork, someone also came up with the music. There's, an, there's writers listed, there's a producer listed, there's an engineer listed, there's a studio listed, someone built a studio, someone built the instruments, someone built the board recording equipment, someone built the microphones, someone built the, you know, vehicles that brought the band back and forth. And you, you sort of expand that out and you realize what a, you know, total, you know, process it is and a, and a huge collaboration of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And then hopefully you have a little more respect for it and understand that it's not something that's just this throwaway thing that these, you know, people just sing these trite, absurd, vapid songs about nothing. It's something a little deeper and it's creation and it means something and it can point to humanity in a way like, Hey, check this out. I didn't think of it that way. You know, there's a song on the record called colorblind and it's about, you know, John growing up with a, a black mother from Africa and his dad was Swedish and he grew up in London and what that, what he went through you know, his perspective, which is a brilliant perspective. He doesn't see color, you know, and what a, what an amazing way to look at it. So you put that out into the universe, you put it out into the world, and maybe there's people across the world, across the globe that have dealt with 
a struggle like and then they can be like yeah you know what i was i felt that you know yeah and you're right uh, you know uh, making albums is a lost start if you, if you look back uh you know back in the day when you had you know the new aerosmith album the new black crows album the new you looked at that artwork and it was a complete picture and a complete package and that, now we don't have that anymore now you did mention um, trite songs, and you had said in the past that you just weren't the guy who could go out and write a song like Warren's Cherry Pie. Um, talk to me about Shake Your Money Maker when that first came out, because that was very different than what was going on at the time. It awoke me in a sense that it was like, oh, listen to that. That's some. And then you were put on that bill was Aerosmith, which was a, an incredibly good pairing. Uh, but talk to me about going into that first album and, and putting those songs together. And, you know, what was, if any, the record company pressure to try to get something that was more MTV-ish or more digestible? Because it really was a different statement for what was going on at the time. I mean, well, first of all, you know, we made about 12 records after Shake Your Money Maker and had a pretty valid career after that. And, I agree. And after that, we toured with bands like, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and Neil Young to ACDC. And then Jimmy Page was in our band for a whole year in the 2000s. And then we did these cool tours with Oasis. And then we came back in 05 and did, uh, you know, a ton of touring on our own and made a lot of really cool records. You know, I was 19 when I made Shake Your Moneymaker. And that was a long time ago. It was, you know, it was, it was literally, you know, I started writing it 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, we never had any pressure to, to fit in. We just did what we did. And that's what I do now. And that's why I'm really more excited about talking about Magpie and like what we're doing now, because I feel like we're a new band just out of just getting started. And it's exciting, you know. Yeah, it really is getting exciting. So the band formed a couple of years ago. You put out that sort of well, you put out the Magpie Salute, the, the live album, if you want. Um why did it take so long to get to a studio album? Was it just sort of figuring out the sound? Was it trying to make sure that the songs were right? Or was it just more important to be on the road for a bit? No, I mean, you know, we weren't supposed to be a band. I mean, it was literally supposed to be like a, you know, it was three shows in, in Woodstock. I was touring on my record, my solo record, Flux. And uh, this opportunity came up for us to do a show in... Um, basically they invite a live audience in to witness you or to watch you do uh, you know basically record like a live record or something to that effect while they're sitting in the in the studio with you or the you know those kinds of so it really wasn't meant to be a band so you know we did three shows everyone felt it was special so we put a show up for sale in New York at the Gramercy. It sold out in 20 minutes, four more or three more. They sold out and we were like, Hey, this is cool. Let's do some more. And then let's do some more. Oh yeah. We had that record we made last summer over those three shows. Let's put that out and just tour and have fun. It was never meant to be a band. It was just meant to really get started. But as we went out and toured and did these things, we realized what we would do. And we all found that happiness and joy from this band. Yeah, and it's turned out great. Um, Hello? Yep. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we will have um, another writer connect in any moment. Ah, okay. Uh, well, Rich, uh, great pleasure talking to, to you today, and uh, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks.
Bye-bye. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.